0: in the unborn, uh, that was Human Life Sunday, and so we, uh, we talked about how the image of God is, is in us, even in babies that are still in the womb. And then uh, two weeks ago, or I mean last week, we looked at the image of God in the poor, and today we are going to look at the image of God in the prisoner. And uh, uh, we've invited Ed Baer to be our preacher this morning to talk about that because he has extensive involvement in um, in prison ministry, and so we thought, who better to ask than uh, than him? <coughs> Excuse me. So he is going to uh, uh, bring us the message uh, this morning. Uh, I'm guessing most of you know Ed. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he has uh, been here in this pulpit before. And uh, or he you may have seen him as a uh, ABF teacher uh, downstairs or maybe he was a care group shepherd for you. Uh, he gets around. And uh, what I love about this guy is uh, is his sincere love for God. Uh, it also love uh, how you uh, are a devoted prayer warrior. And uh, uh, thank you for that. Thank you for preaching this morning. And uh, let me pray for you right now as uh, as you get started. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for my brother, Ed. Uh, thank you for his uh, willingness and also uh, his ability, the, the talent that you've gifted him with to teach and preach. Uh, thank you for that. And Father, as he uh, talks here and wraps up this sermon series here about the uh, image of God in each of us, and specifically this morning uh, uh, in the prisoner, I pray that uh, you would guide every word of his, and uh, uh, may they actually be your words. And I pray for us who are hearing, listening, uh, that we would listen here more than just with our ears, that we would be uh, attentive with our hearts, and that uh, that we would leave here changed people uh, because of what your word does to us. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.
1: Yeah, thank you, Charlie. It's good to be here. I, I'd never heard my own voice before. <laughs> uh, when Charlie said um, uh, he thought of no one better than to speak. Well, I thought about a half a dozen people that would be better to speak about prison ministry. But it is really a privilege. It was funny, I was talking to Dean back behind, and He said, um, he talked about preaching, and I said, it's so funny, the Holy Spirit must have a sense of humor. And I'll talk a little bit about God's sense of humor later on. Uh, I I told him that I told Keith a couple years ago that I would never, ever preach again. And so here I am. So uh, God has to have a sense of humor. But what I'm going to do today, um, kind of a three segment, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I got into prison, a little bit of my observations, and then... Jim's going to come and we're going to interview him and then I'm going to the last uh, 10 minutes we're going to look at the scriptures but to start off with I'd like to just share you a little bit about how I get into prison ministry and uh, I love what Andy Stanley said uh, Andy Stanley said I have no idea how the sovereignty of God works but when I look back over uh, my life I see his foot spr- uh, his footprints his fingerprints along the way and that's kind of the way Uh, I I was. My wife and I, uh, we've had numerous people in and out of our homes uh, uh, helping with potatoes, helping on the farm. And as I look back, uh, there were some pretty creepy guys (laughs) that helped with potatoes. And I look back and I think, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, we must have been crazy. But as I look back, it was like God preparing me along the way uh, to, to be involved in prison. But I was never interested in inmates. I was never interested in going into prison. In fact, I have a couple dear friends that got involved in prison ministry at uh, LCP uh, in the late 1900s. And they said, Ed, why don't you come in and help? And I said, no, God's not leading me. I was using God as an excuse. Uh, I didn't want to go in. Quite frankly, I was scared to death. And um, I, I even went to a prison fellowship training center, uh, and, and they said, no, aren't you going to come in and help? I said, no, I'm not coming in. And so one time uh, I was having my quiet time, and uh, this was uh, right around 2000 and, um, oh, I don't know, 2000, I think it was the spring of 2004, and I read these verses uh, from Matthew chapter 25, and the context is so is so important. Um, he just finished chapter 24 where he talked about the, de- uh, Jesus talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he also talked about his second coming. And then he talked about getting ready for Jesus' return. And then he talked about the judgment that'll happen at the end of the age. And he read these, he, he, uh, he mentioned these uh, these words. He said, uh, starting at the, uh, in the middle of verse Uh, 35, he said, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Ooh. And I'd read that, I don't know how many times before, but it was that particular time that God kind of arrested me. And then you jump over to verse 39. It says, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king replied, I tell you, verse 40, uh, the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers, you did for me. And it was that scripture that ended up uh, leading me into prison. So I, I told my friend, yeah, I would I would give it a shot. And so uh, some really funny stories the first couple times I went in. Uh, the first time you walk through, even as a visitor, the first time you walk through the prison door, I mean, it is... a. Uh, I, I don't have the words to describe because the doors don't close like a door in your bedroom door. The doors kerthunk. I mean, in fact, we had quite a few men who um, were in prison uh, who served either in Vietnam or in the Gulf Wars, and and they said it sounded exactly like an artillery round coming in. In fact, a lot of who uh, who struggle with PTSD. In the middle of the night when that door went kerthunk, uh, would find themselves underneath their bed uh, just from, they they thought an artillery round was coming in. So that door, the sound of the door is like a sound that you've never heard. And uh, at the time, back in the fall of 2004, they were doing an ALPHA program. And ALPHA was just, uh, there was a little mini revival almost going on there in LCP. And uh, Alpha was just an introduction uh, of, of Christianity. It's kind of Christianity 101. It introduced uh, the fact that uh, that you are made in the image of God. It introduced the fact that uh, you're a sinner. Um, why Jesus had to be virgin born. Just the basic uh, uh, theology of the Christian faith. And so. Uh, We were doing that, and then um, uh, there was always a a time when we'd get together and then discuss it. So we'd break up into into groups. And so the first couple of times, uh, one of the times uh, I, I walked in for the first time, and there was a tiny little room, and I mean it was tiny, and back in 2004, uh, the prison was either scorching hot or freezing cold. There was no in between and This was the fall two thousand and four and it was so hot. I was sweating and I sat down and there 's forty i think there was forty four guys came in and back at that time, security uh, was so lax compared to what it is today, and so we were able to take in donuts and uh, iced tea and and uh, so uh, so we just had a great time, and I remember sitting there and it was so hot and I started sweating. And were you ever in a place where? Um, your heart began to beat faster than your y- you could breathe, and I started hyperventilating. And all I could think was, "Oh no, Lord, don't let me pass out! Don't let me pass out! Don't let me!" P-. That's how scared I was. So, and then and then we broke up into groups, and uh, the leader is probably one of the most godly men I ever met but very lax when it comes to administration. And he told me, Ed, he, and I said, now remember, this is my first time in here. I've never been here before. You're gonna have a helper for me. Yes, yes, we have a helper. Well, it ended up that uh, I was in a group of 10 men, uh, all Latino, African American, one Caucasian. And he said, He said, that's your group. And I said, I thought you said I was gonna have a helper. He said, uh, we don't have a helper, you're, you're the guy. So I sat down, and um, and this is where I, I know that God has a sense of humor. This was just, and this is where I fell in love with inmates. Um, I'm usually pretty good at small groups, and so uh, I was so scared. I sat there, and uh, I just said, I said, "Do you have a question for me?" And uh, one, his name was Joel, a Latino guy could barely speak English, and he said, "Yeah, Mr. Bear, I have." Uh, he's, I said, uh, "What was your question?" And he said, what did you think when you came in here with all of us guys? And I said, do you want an honest, uh, an honest answer? He said, yeah. I said, I'm scared to death. He looked at me, he said, would you think we're going to kill you? <laughs> and they laughed and laughed and laughed and pounded each other on the back. And that's where I fell in love with inmates. Uh, so it was just such a, it was, and that's, uh, I found that inmates have some great sense of humor, not always uh, appropriate, but they have a, 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 a sense of inmate. So uh, I'd like to share uh, some of the things that I've observed and learned, and, and if I could just share, I've learned so much more from inmates than they could have ever learned from me, and I'd like to share, first of all, some of the things I've learned, and then some of the observations that I've had. Uh, one of the things that I I learned that there is absolutely no difference between um, the chaplain and the inmate. Uh, The the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level for all of us. And Keith has said this over and over and over again. And every time he said it, I wanted to stand up and cheer him on because I think for those of us who grew up in Christian homes, we don't realize the sinful capacity that we have in us. Uh, I am convinced that you and I can do any of the crimes that we see uh, written about in the newspaper. And I think for a lot of us Christians, we say we're beyond that. We're not. Um, So many times after I've met with a guy, uh, I would walk out and I would just, with tears in my eyes, just think, you know, but by the grace of God, that could have been me. If I had made this decision, if that would have happened, if this, this thing wouldn't have been there, Uh, That could easily have been me, and I think that's something as Christians, you and I, have to realize that you and I have the capacity. Uh, We had a saying in prison that said, "We're all a mess. We all need a savior," and that's that's really true. Uh, And this this second one, um, broken people, and this is one of the things I've learned so much. Broken people have an uncanny understanding of human nature uh, and the spiritual world. You don't know how many times I've sat down with somebody who maybe not even a Christian or maybe just a Christian a few months or a year, and their understanding of human nature is far beyond mine. And I have been a Christian for 40 years. And I think that so often when people have lived through trauma and some really difficult times, uh, they look at things the way they are. And so often we as Christians look at the things the way they should be. And that's where we kind of get confused. And, and I can't even uh, communicate what I have learned in just sitting down with so many of these these, uh, these men and just listen to their take on life and, and where they came from. Uh, it's just been a, such a, an important part of my learning uh, process. Um, uh, thirdly, um, th- one of the biggest blessings that I've had was to sit down with s- some Latino friends or um, uh, African American friends, and just say, "Would you tell me what, what it was like growing up in your home?" Uh, rather than me telling them <laughs> what I think they should do, just to sit down. Uh, I had a, uh, I spent a lot of hours with a Korean fella um, uh, from um, Yeah, he was con- uh, Korea, and his family moved to Los Angeles, and somehow he ended up here. I spent hours with him, and, just, and he told me how the Korean, how the Asian person think, their thinking process, their values. And just to sit and listen really helps us to understand where people are coming from. And I think so often, again, as Christians, we say, I have information that I want to tell you, and we don't listen. And probably the fourth thing, fourth thing that I've, I've uh, learned most is to listen the most important thing that we as Christians to do uh, with our friends is to listen. To listen. To listen what somebody says and while they're speaking, not be thinking about something we want to tell them or teach them or preach to them, but listen. What do they say? What What's going on? Where's their heart? Uh, listening is just so important. So there's some of the things that I've, that I've uh, um, learned. Some of my observations, again, and when I mention this, I'm a little hesitant because <laughs> I'm, uh, I've, I've been there, but I've not been there. Uh, I'm not an expert, and the whole prison uh, system, um, th- the corrections, that's, a, uh, that's an animal in and of itself. But um, th- some of the things that I've observed, uh, one of the things is I was just so surprised at the amount of men in prison who don't want help, um, you know, what? I've, I've sat and I've listened, you know, kind of you see, hear a group of guys over there and you kind of listen out of the eavesdrop, I guess you could say, and I listen how they plot what they're going to do when they get out. And it's like, guys, you're in prison, and you're already plotting what you're going to do when you get out. You know, what's wrong with you? And what I've found is so often as the inmate gets older and older and older, they became, become more and more serious with their stuff. Often kids, it's just very difficult to speak to because they're kids and they're not ready. They haven't, we had a saying in there, they haven't experienced enough of pain yet. One of the things we realize is, like Andy Stanley said again, sin always has a gotcha. You can't sin and get away with it. Um, That's one of the things I think we forget. You can't sin and get away with it. Uh, Secondly, uh, and and this probably really profoundly changed me. For the first time in my life, I never I met people that never heard the gospel, had no idea who Abraham was, John the Baptist, had no I had never picked up a book I mean a Bible, had never been to church, had never been to Sunday school, and to communicate with somebody who never um, had any background in Scripture or the Bible, just again it just um, It was a learning process, but it was very, very difficult uh, as I kind of worked through that. I'll talk a little bit about that later on. Um, And thirdly, uh, the amount of men who could not read, uh, that's really surprised me. In fact, we had uh, cartoon Bibles uh, in the chaplain's office for men who could not read. Um, If uh, if a man would come to to us and say, I I have a Bible, I mean, "I, I could, I have a Bible, but I can't read, we would give him a cartoon Bible. It uh, just surprised me. I thought, this is the United States of America. Everyone reads, but that's not the case. Um, fourthly, uh, and, and again, all these just so surprised me, the amount of men who had no support, no friends, no family, no support at all, nothing. Um, uh, so many guys had told me that uh, when I had money, I had friends. When I had no money, I had no friends. Or when I had drugs, I had friends. When I don't have money, I don't have friends. Uh, And probably the saddest time of the whole year was Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, About three weeks, uh, four weeks before uh, Christmas, we would hand out, give every inmate four Christmas cards. And one of the saddest things, over and over again, guys would hand the cards back through their wiki hole and say, I don't have anyone to send a card to. Or uh, often we as chaplains would get Christmas cards. And it's like, why are you sending us Christmas cards? And they say, well, I don't have anyone else to send them to. And so you can see, as you see, the reincarceration rate. Um, you know, a lot of guys get out of prison. They have nowhere to go. They end up on the street. And c- imagine you had no support. Um, Eileen and I often talk, you know, if I needed a $1,000 today, I probably would have 50 people that would lend me $1,000. Most of these guys don't have anyone that will lend them $10. I had, I spoke with guys that needed $100 bail to get out and couldn't get it. And so, um, you, know, that's, you know, trying to just help you understand what it's like to be an inmate for so much. A lot of people, most people that that uh, live uh, in our well, not most, but a lot of people. There is a large segment of people that live in our area live like that with nothing, no support. Uh, again, um, I I was shocked at the at the amount of men who suffered from mental illness. Um, hearing voices, uh, disassociative disorder, multiple personality. When you sit down with somebody and you see the personality switch right before you, something I had never been, uh, I n- never even really knew existed. Um, and, and just, and, and this sounds kind of crazy, if, and I would have said it, uh, it didn't happen except I saw it, uh, just the effect that Full Moon has with uh, inmates in prison. Uh, with the mental illness. I was just shocked. It was really, uh, really interesting. And then lastly, uh, just the tragic effect that trauma has on people. Um, War trauma, body memories, uh, lies associated with trauma, nightmares, drug dreams, drug use. um, A lot of the drug use is just to medicate uh, the emotional pain that that guys are going through. Uh, Something, again, that I, I observed and I learned the self-harm, the abandonment. And so, again, as I look back over these last, uh, since 2004, just uh, the things that I've learned just from listening. Um, and I also, as I, Jim, you can come on up a while. I'm going to interview Jim. Um, I've, uh, I've told a number of people probably um, these last 15 years have been spiritually one of the most difficult because, um, when you deal with broken people, you have to deal with your unbrokenness and you have to deal with your stuff, and that's not fun. And then also the things that I thought I knew, <laughs> I found that I didn't know, I didn't know. Um, and a lot of the doctrines that I thought worked didn't. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm much more comfortable with mystery. But on the other hand, I'm more confident than ever that the gospel can change a heart that even the name of the Lord Jesus Christ has a great, great power uh, in a situation. And so in one case, I have, don't have near the answers that I had 15 years ago. On the other case, on the other side, I'm more confident in the Lord Jesus and that he can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could imagine. So now i pull my chair over here. I'd like to introduce to you uh, my good friend Jim. Now, um, Jim. Uh, when I had Jim is part of our Sunday morning group, and I asked Jim uh, if he would come and share with us, and he did. And uh, he said, "Should I wear a suit?" And I said, "If you did, you'd be the only one here with a suit." <laughs> so, so he said, "I only had one suit anyway, so that works out good." <laughs> so, uh, uh, Jim, I, I took it to the dry to the dry cleaner, so it'd be aware. okay. But this is my friend Jim, um, and uh, just to—I uh, have four questions basically. Jim worked as a park ranger for a lot of years in parks all over the uh, country. Also, you worked as a firefighter in uh, what do you? Uh, in Oregon. In Oregon. And so, um, Jim, uh, you found yourself incarcerated, and when those doors slammed shut, could you just explain a little bit what that was like to have your freedom taken? It's a horrible experience, <laughs> it really is um
2: I because mean, one minute is or at least seems like one minute you're um you're just like everybody else you know you're you're out, you're walking around, you're making your own decisions, you are you know going where you want to go and uh doing the things that you need to do or want to do or and all of a sudden that's taken away. <laughs> All of a sudden, when you decided you were going to go here, that plan has changed, and you're not doing that anymore. And um, now you have a man who's telling you where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and uh, and when you're going to do it. Yeah.
1: You spent six and a half years in um, Fayette. Yes. In Fayette. SCI Fayette. Uh, SCI Fayette. And... Um, uh, we have a Sunday morning group, and there's anywhere from eight to ten guys come. We pray together, have Bible study, and it's just been a wonderful time. Um, and sharing uh, prison experiences, and uh, it's just it's really a great time. But you had mentioned that prison wasn't all bad. You had mentioned that there was some good that happened in prison, as well as the bad. Could you? We'll go the good the good route first. Okay. <laughs> Could you just share some of the good that happened, and then briefly? Uh, some of the the bad observations? Well, uh, you know, I knew you were going to ask me this question,
2: and I thought about that. And the thing is, is I I will tell you something good, but actually it's going to start bad. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just to (laughs) let you know. um, Because uh, difficult, I mean, prison was a difficult experience, and I I was initiated into that when I I was transferred through, well, Six months in county in, in the county jail, and then transferred through into the, into the state correctional institutions. And when it came to, to uh, SCI Camp Hill, which is the um, transfer center or the intake center, basically for all over the state, um, I had an experience there where, um, yeah, I had I had some folks who didn't like me very much, and um, so I had an experience where I had. Uh, as you wait there, you're doing medical intake and they, you're, you know, basically you're quarantined and they check you out and stuff like that. You're waiting there with a group of people that just came in from, well, from Pittsburgh where I came through. And um, I had, it, because of myself and what I'd been through and what I'd done, as I said, I had people who didn't like me. I had, a, you know, I had things thrown at me. I had a th- milk carton thrown in my head and I had a guy come up and say, gosh, I hope somebody stabs you in the neck with a pencil. I was so scared. (laughs) I was so scared to death. I'd never been through anything like this in my life. And I just wanted, I just, I I thought I was going to die and I wanted to die. And there was a man who came through with me. His name was Paul. And uh, Paul, as I sat there, so dejected after going through just an awful experience, getting kicked in the butt by a CO, um, Paul came along and, As I sat there, I was all alone. And he came and he sat down and he started to talk to me. And he said to me, he said, I thought, he was a Catholic guy, and he came and he sat down and he said, I thought if I came and sat next to you and talked to you, he said maybe other people wouldn't be scared to talk to you. Yeah. That man saved my life. Hmm. That man literally saved my life. And that was the best experience. Yeah. And that started a good, you know, they got me off on the right foot, because the thing is is there, there are dangerous things in prison. I did see people beat up. I did see I remember I was in the yard one time, and uh, whenever you hear keys and a C.O. is running, you know, something's, something's wrong, and you, you turn at that sound, and, uh, but turning in the yard and, and just seeing the end result of somebody stomping on somebody's head, you know those are things you don't forget they're not fun experiences. Yeah.
1: You had a couple people that were really special in prison.
2: Absolutely. Well, I just mentioned uh, Paul and that was just a, a short second. Yeah. You know, I really didn't have any interaction with him after that, but he saved my life, but there were other people. There was uh I had a cellie named uh, named Ken and he was a truck driver and from Indiana and a uh, wonderful man of God and uh as well as Another great man of God I met who, who really became a good friend of mine. His name was Randy Schreiner. And, uh, man, that guy, we could walk the yard and, and talk and, and share experiences. And, and uh, he was a very good friend of mine. Mm. He, he, we always pointed each other towards the Lord, mm. and he was a lot of, he was a lot of fun yeah. to hang out with. Yeah. Love that man.
1: Um. We often think of of going into prison as uh, really traumatic, but coming out is traumatic as well. Um, In prison six and a half years, and all of a sudden the gates are thrown open, and they say, you're out. Now what do you do? Could you just, again, briefly just explain a little bit what was that like coming out of prison? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. And
2: uh and the thing is is I mean I was only in for six and a half years. Uh there's people I know who've been in for a way a lot longer than that. But just uh, the main thing that got me was uh when I came out was it was people with their face in their phone. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? Not only that, but I could be on the bus and all of a sudden somebody's talking to me, I'm like what turn around and they're not talking to me they're talking to somebody else they're talking to you know they got things in their ear and they're talking to somebody else and uh and just a matter of just how fast things are yeah um everything is slow in prison uh you know you wait for everything you you know you as i said you go when somebody says go or or not and just everything is slow and you come out and there's cars moving and things are happening and people are doing stuff and they're like hurry up and and i mean you get that from a co but as far as support
1: what support did you have any support from the system when you got out or were you pretty well when you're in
2: um i had uh, well number one if you're going to get out you have to have a hundred dollars saved uh that you're going to they're going to put you on a bus and send you out with so you do have that kind of support But depending on where you go if you have a lot of men in prison uh have burnt their bridges Mm -hmm. they have you know their family has, has just are done, are done with them. Their friends are gone or wh- who they thought were their friends are gone and they have nobody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a lot of times, depending upon your offense or, or, uh, you know, you might not, sometimes, you you know, you're not going back to where you came from. Right. You're going to another part of the state
1: yeah.
2: and, um, you know, you know, you don't know anybody. Um, as I said, your family and friends are gone and, uh, it is, to build a new life and start a new life uh, on your own without knowing anybody uh, if you, and especially if you've been in for a long time, uh, you know, and if you don't have any resources, it's hard.
1: That's piggybacks. Okay. One more Um, for those. And, and I've had uh, quite a number of people come up to me from this congregation and say, you know, the kid down the streets in prison, or I have a, Uh, A friend who has a friend who's in prison. And the question I'd like to ask you is for those of us who have friends or relatives coming out of prison, uh, could you just give us what would be one of the best things we could do to help them kind of assimilate back into uh, normal culture, normal society? Except, uh, that's, yeah, that's probably yeah. an hour-long discussion. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I know you have limited time. If you can bring that hour down to one minute. <laughs> okay,
2: <laughs> that's easy to do. Accept um, them. They've been. You're, you know, if you know somebody who's been in prison, you know, for any length of time—not even for e- you know a long length of time—any time in prison is traumatic. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, you you see things, you hear things, you experience things um, that can be really, really difficult. Um, especially losing your freedom. And and those people need your support. Mm -hmm. You know, they need to know that you love them. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I I came out, I thought, you know, I came out, I, I had the idea in my head that I was ready for that first rejection when I went looking for a job, and you say you're ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, and you get it, and you're not ready. Yeah. It really it really affects a person. You feel really demoralized, yeah. um, which is it happens a lot through the yeah. system, yeah. Uh, the demoralization of people. Yeah. But um, don't be that, don't be that demoralizing person. Be that support. Be that friend. Talk to them nicely. Get them set in the right direction. Don't, you know, don't enable them. <laughs> yeah. Don't enable them. They need yeah. to make something. Yeah. For themselves and, and and get things accomplished because that's the way that's the way we function in society. But but be a friend. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for the friends that I encountered. I came to Lancaster. I didn't know anybody, and I met this man. And a lot of people. I've had a lot of rejection over my over my life. You know, a lot of it before prison, and then you feel like it while you're in prison, and then you come out and you feel the same way. To have somebody like this man, Ed Bear, here not you when you don't get that from somebody it means the life to you it it means so much to you and i'm very very grateful
1: thanks brother okay yeah okay (laughs) um i just appreciate that i um you don't know how difficult that was for jim and uh so it took a lot of guts uh, to do that so thanks so if you want to open, uh, we're running out of time, but uh, I'd like to just uh, say a few words about our verse in uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and 27. Uh, when Keith told me uh, the verses they were using as a, um, a theme, uh, that's what caught my eye because I used this verse over and over and over um, again. I'm not sure that's the right verse. Um, we, s- we see that over and over again. Uh, I use this this verse, the fact that we're made in the image of God, uh, because uh, we live in a culture today that has really, we're a post-Christian culture. And if we communicate the gospel in the way we always did, there's a large segment of our, our culture, our society will have no understanding of what we're saying. So I'm going to go through some of these pa- verses quickly, and then tell you a couple stories, and then pray, and then we'll be finished. Starting at verse 26... And as I was studying this, I realized that that the Lord spoke twice on the sixth day. Uh, there's a, s- uh, there's a, a sharp delineation between the creation of land animals. And then verse 26, he talks about the creation of man, men and women. And the scripture says this. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, in, uh, and let them rule over the fish of the er- uh, sea the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all of the earth, over all of the creatures that move on the ground. So God created them, or God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Four times in those uh, two verses, he mentions either likeness or image. And likeness and image are pretty well synonymous. They basically mean the same thing. But when you think about what in the world does that mean that we're made in the image of God? Uh, this is one of these passages. There's a number of scripture passages that you kind of peek over the edge, kind of like a little kid maybe looking into Disney World, and you just can't quite take it all in, and you can just see a little bit, and you just want to say, God, that's not fair. You're just showing us a little bit. What does it really mean to be made in the image of God? And I always thought, in fact, I did a Sunday school class a number of years ago, and I I thought that, and I I remember this, (laughs) I remember the class, and I said that I think it referred to, first of all, the fact that God commanded them to rule. He gave man and woman not only the gifting, uh, but the responsibility to rule. The only one of creation that he gave also, um, one of the differences is, is he breathed into the, uh, only mankind the breath of life. And in chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed man from his, the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Not, not any of the other creation did he breathe into the nostrils of breath of life. And I wonder, Lord, what was that? Was that oxygen? Uh, was it the fact that you breathed into him? Uh, eternity, in fact, Ecclesiastes said you've placed eternity in our hearts. You know, what does that mean? And I thought maybe in a s- kind of a way that is made in the image of God. And then also uh, I always thought that one of the, the references was the fact that only to mankind did he give the the opportunity or the responsibility of making a moral decision. Only man and woman can decide what is good or evil, to follow God or not. And I thought, maybe that's what it meant to be made in the image of God. But as I've studied this and, I've, and, and as I've grown a little bit, uh, I've come to realize that there's much, much more uh, to this fact. To be made in the image of God, when you think about it, an image, you think about a picture, right? You think about something that is similar. But when you think about it, we are so dissimilar from God, Right? Uh, God is (laughs) all-powerful. We are not. (laughs) God is (laughs) all-present. We are not. God is transcendent. In other words, he's above all. Uh, We are definitely not that. And God is holy. And we are absolutely not holy in and of ourselves. So what does that mean? And as I thought about it, I think there's two ideas, and I think Keith touched upon this a couple weeks ago. I think it deals primarily two ideas. Number one, the idea of value and worth, and number two, the fact that life is sacred. Now, uh, when I speak of value and worth, I mean that when God stamped on you and I his image, I mean, we can't see it, but maybe we can. When he stamped on us, when the scriptures say that we were made in God's image, it means that that, Uh, his value, that we have value. So when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see or you go somewhere and you don't like what you are, God's value is stamped on us. And I think probably one of the things, even those of us who are are Jesus followers, probably should put a sticker on our mirror in the morning. Believe it or not, you and I are made in the image of God. We have value. And the second thing is uh, the whole idea of sacredness. When I think of sacredness, I think of the, um, uh, of the whole idea of respect, of something that is reverence. And when you think of something that is reverence, it's something that is special, something is set off, something that is different, something that has worth to it. And when you think about our culture today, when you talk about sacredness, very little is sacred, right? Our language isn't sacred, marriage isn't sacred, uh, life isn't sacred, sex isn't sacred, truth of course, (laughs) there is no such thing as truth, and our culture says property isn't sacred. And I heard uh, a juvenile detention officer say a long time ago, and I'll never forget it, as he was telling his graduates as they left the detention center, he said, boys and girls, I want you to remember this thing. Uh, these three things. This world is, uh, will do anything they can either to get your vote, your money, or your body. And remember that. That's not sacred, is it? God's agenda, God's value system is so much different. Every man, woman, child, inmate is, uh, is, is sacred. It has his image stamped upon them. And uh, we are out of time. So I'm going to just finish by, by two quick stories. Um, this whole uh, area, this whole um, the idea of God's image being stamped upon us, I try to use that over and over and over again when I have a chance to um, um, talk to somebody about Jesus who has no um, um, Bible understanding. And I'll tell you two quick stories. I met a, um, uh, a young man from Warwick, uh, he was a, a senior. He was a drug dealer. And I'll never forget, I was walking through the pod, and he was a pretty tough kid, and he came up to me and he said, he said, hey, chap, he said, what's this Jesus stuff anyway? And I said, well, I'll, I'll, can I, you know, let's go in a, a room and we'll talk. So I took him in the back room and we started talking. And I, I, it was like I was speaking English and he was hearing me in French. I mean, there was just this, this disconnect. The words, the Bible words that I was using, uh, he didn't understand. And I walked out and I did what any sensible Christian would do. I tried to ignore him (laughs) for the rest of my time because I didn't know what to tell him. And so as I learned, uh, as I learned and God began to speak to me, a little later I met uh, a guy from, uh, he was a garden spot, um, from garden spot. And we started to, to talk. I was talking to him. Uh, the doors are solid doors, and they have a tiny little, we call them a wiki hole. It's about that big. So you talk through the wiki hole. And we were talking, and um, he started talking about uh, d- religious things. And I, I said to him, and I said I asked him this question, and this is a great question to ask somebody that comes from a, a totally uh, non-Christian uh, background. I said, did you ever think about what is your purpose in life? Why are you here? Did you ever think about that? Great way to start. Why are you here? And if they say I don't know, I'll, I'll give you a chance to think about it. I'll come back next. I'll come back tomorrow. I want you to think about it. Well, for young men, often when you take when you say, uh, "What is your purpose in life?" the smile gets big, and it's like they have a woman in mind, or they have a party in mind. And I saw his eyes getting wide, and I said, I, and I asked him, I said. Um, uh, has your party life brought meaning to your life? When you leave the party, how do you feel? When the woman, the girl leaves the next morning, how do you feel? And I could see his head went down. Went down like this. And and um, uh, Ravi Zacharias um, has helped me enormously in, c- in trying to communicate to a non-Christian background. And Ravi said said this. He said, every human being on earth, every religion has to answer these four questions. The question of origin, where did we come from? The question of meaning, what is life all about? What is your purpose in life? The question of morality, how do you and I live? And fourthly, the question of destiny, where do I go when I die? And if we get that first one right, origin, that sets the foundation for everything else origin. And so often I have a chance, I just reiterate over and over and over again, made in the image of God. made it Because it is so foreign. For many of us, we've had uh, a fairly easy, easy life. But for many, that's not the case. Most people have been kicked around and tramped on and there's no one to rely on. They've never had somebody that they could say, "Well, that is my that that is somebody I, I can emulate, somebody I want to follow, somebody I want to be like." So many people have never had that, and so to get the foundation that you mean I have worth even for what I did, that is that is such a foundational important part um, in in eventually getting to the gospel, because Ravi Zacharias again said um, uh, in one of his speeches he said it used to be we could go right to the gospel we can't anymore today we have to answer the question first of all is there a God you wrestle through that first and so as we communicate as we get involved uh, and as we uh, seek to make you know uh, uh, a difference in that world just just some thoughts but again this is such an important verse as we think about setting the foundation where I came from okay let's pray uh, God, uh, thank you so much for um, this morning, and I thank you for these dear men and women. And, um, Lord, we've just touched, just just touched a little bit, just very, very briefly, on what it means to be an inmate and what an inmate goes through, and just briefly touched on uh, what it means to be made in the image of God. And so... Um, I would just pray that uh, if there's one thought, one thing we can take home, would you just, uh, would you just help us to, to um, um, that whole idea of, of worth and value, if we could just kind of put that inside of us. And not only us, as we look in the mirror, are made in the image of God, but every man, woman, child that we come across are made in the image of God as well. Thank you.